0: Well, there's an interesting entryway in the Buddha's teachings, uh, which is psychotherapy as being framed by this noble eightfold path aspect called right effort. And right effort refers to both the general sense of, you know, putting your all into it or you know um energy this kind of thing um the technical sort of the seed of the technical definition is the effort to abandon the unwholesome and cultivate the wholesome so out with the bad in with the good you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh But what it's really at essence talking about is this is the path factor where we dive into the whole of mental culture, the whole of uh, kind of the recrafting of the mind, the recrafting of the heart that's under right effort. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it, it just begs comparison with, Uh, The psychotherapeutic uh, practices that also are aimed at abandoning the unwholesome, like personality patterns, habits, behaviors, and so on, that aren't working and cultivating the wholesome. Uh, Let's develop some, you know, some wholesome ways of looking at things and some good habits and, and so on. So, where are the commonalities? That are really valuable, and where are what can we learn from the differences you know that would be inform in you know, uh, uh, sort of like provide a uh, early Buddhist perspective, if you will,
1: mm-hmm. On, mm-hmm. on
0: psychotherapy, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and oriented toward the sense of recrafting the mind and the heart
0: mm-hmm. right. So, first of all, you know, both perspectives recognize human suffering Mm -hmm. and are aimed at mitigating suffering. But what we mean by suffering might not be the same, you know. Uh, There's the, you know, kind of, uh, I guess if Freud is famous, we're talking about the normal suffering you know, and we're going to get rid of the extraordinary, maybe the psychotic suffering, but we're not going to do anything about the normal suffering. Um, but when you look at the Buddha's perspective on that normal suffering or what he called, you know, in, in his, the language of the time, dukkha, this kind of, you know, kind of ongoing thread of dissatisfaction, uh, it gets back to this, the, the mind, the heart, the body, always going for more, always being this appetitive, like we said, always always trying to feed itself with either sensory inputs, intellectual inputs that keep us stimulated, um, uh, inputs that uh, inflate or stabilize the self, you know, those kinds of inputs, hunger, hunger, feed me more, look at me, admire me, appreciate me, validate me, those kinds of always hungry for more, or don't look at me. I'm now hungry to get away. I'm hungry in the sense of uh, fearing being seen, fearing the intimacy, you know? And that's, so my hunger is to be invisible in that case, you know, but either way, I'm never satisfied with it because I'm never safe enough, you know? So the sense of being in the world Always on edge, always contingent, always wanting more or wanting less, always fearing in some sense for my survival or my happiness or my whatever. So that kind of level of dukkha that recognizes that it's happening moment by moment through the sense doors and the mind to always you know, ugh, always always off, you know that's dukkha, right That's the right, self
1: right right, right right, right.
0: And so when we talk about uh, uh in the in the language of the you know the Buddha, we're talking about cessation of that whole mass of suffering. And there's a uh it's very tempting to say because of, of uh we have this uh, appreciation for just the Uh, complexity of the mind and the needs of the body to say, it's not possible. That kind of freedom is not possible. So um, there's some fundamental problems that come from that. But before I talk about those, I have to, so that's kind of what I call the, the psychological bypass freedom in that sense, is not possible. Right, and so because freedom will mean necessarily giving up my precious sense of self and all of my, you know, my uh, personality formations, all of my romantic associations, all of my um, sense of becoming is like uh, rather than being something that I'm going to coddle and get right. going to be something i'm talking about really releasing yeah right and so the psychological bypass is to say no that's not possible
1: i want to check with you just a little something as you're 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 talking Um, you're very vividly capturing a sense of the hunger for more or the hunger for disappearing and hiding as essentially strategies to regulate interaction. That um, there is a sense of that challenge, that existential challenge of we do not exist in and of ourselves, we exist in interaction and interaction presents problems that feel overwhelming. And so through the pressures, we evolve some strategies which are going to involve either grasping or hiding. Um, And since they are essentially strategies that are born from pressure and are essentially faulty, they're condemned to never work and to have that sense of emptiness unless the underlying problem of how to deal with interaction and what is the self in interaction is actually dealt with.
0: That captures that aspect of it that uh, assumes that the self is going to, at some point, be able to get the right mix of strategies. Um, And one of the core um, sort of uh, tenets, you might say,
1: mm-hmm.
0: is uh, the Buddha's observation that there is no uh, lasting uh, uh, self. There's it's right. all it's all impermanent. It's all contingent. It's all constantly being fabricated and refabricated. Yeah. And therefore, it's always going to be uneasy. It's never going to get everything the way it wants because it itself is empty. And so how can you stabilize something that is contingent and empty?
1: Right. right? It has an emerging quality. It's something and, that happens in interaction. Right. It's an experience that we have in interaction. And, and can, we're, and we're right. handling it as if it were something that has an existence of itself.
0: Exactly. And therefore, it can never be stabilized. It, you know, it, it's just because it's, it's unstable and in, in, it's intrinsically a, a changing fabricated process. So it's always gonna be unstable and that's a fundamental human dilemma, right? So when that's understood, we make this by both the psychotherapeutic outlook that, you know, a psychotherapeutic outlook and the Buddhist teachings come into alignment because they both see that. But if you don't see that, then the psychotherapeutic outlook that is going to try and provide all the strategies for this self to get happy is going to be out of alignment with this, this, uh, look, this outlook that says a genuine freedom is possible, but it's not the freedom of that self. Right. Okay. So here's the thing though. What happens is when people come to a path like Buddhism, they find meditation and they find meditation, not as a way of seeing clearly and, and you might say, turning towards these human vulnerabilities and challenges, but as a way of bypassing them, a, a way of like finding a kind of um, uh, coping, by way of, uh, silencing and suppressing the fears of the self and the desires and all this kind of thing. And that's called a spiritual bypass Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where you, you know, uh, uh, meditation becomes a narcotic basically, right? That's a spiritual bypass. So on the one hand, you have a spiritual bypass that denies your humanity and your, and your, the kind of the painful nature of things and so on and then on the other hand you have the spiritual bypass the psychological bypass that bypasses the possibility of letting go of all that that denies the possibility of freedom so in between what i call these double bypasses right, right uh, you have you know you have the possibility of coming into the actuality of The human experience, the human dilemma, and uh, knowing that through, if I may, through a whole life path that skillfully recognizes this situation, one can begin to um, uh, sort of uh, dissolve or erode all of the constructs that hold in place this scared hungry self construct this like this way of life that is always trying to find stability with anything from you know successes or drugs or sex or whatever it is to doing to stabilize itself or intellectual you know edifices of some sort um so that can be released and there can be uh, a recognition of the personality and all of its stuff without holding on to it. And now there can be a genuine effacement, a genuine uh, diminishing, dissolving of the uh, root of the suffering.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And, but, but a whole life path is, I come back to that because. The self is going to be constantly, you know, trying to reform as best it can, because that's what it knows how to do. It's survival. It's, it's, it's a mortal fear, losing, yeah. losing myself. Right. It's a mortal fear, you know? Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, better to really have these practices, like the practice of, and I'll use some Buddhist language if you don't mind, right view, mm-hmm. you know, is it's basically saying cultivate, Wise understanding, cultivate wisdom, and here's the things you do. You you can have good conversations. You can study. You can meditate. You know. You can have friendships that bring in what is needed because you are not going to have everything. You know. So there's actual strategies for cultivating a, a harmonious perspective. Strategies for cultivating uh, a, a wise aim called right intention, you know, how do you develop right intention? Well, gosh, you know, we can see the value of intelligent religion because they have like things like this that are just reminders for wholesome qualities. Well, that's a practice of right intention that you're looking at says, oh, remember what peacefulness is? Do you want to aim that way? Or the right intention of compassion,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Now, what reminds you? What aims your mind towards right intention? And these are life practices, right? So, and on and on with
1: mindfulness. So there, there's a there's a logic there, in a sense that if we don't take the self as something that has an independent existence, and that think of it as something that has uh, is emerging from interaction, Mm -hmm. then by taking the advice um, that says, here, try this on, do this practice, do that practice, then we give ourselves a chance to see the nature of that interaction and to discover the sense of self that emerges from that.
0: Right. Which, of course, requires, while I'm engaged with you, enough mindfulness to observe internally, to observe externally, to observe both internally and externally between us, you know, the relational space and kind of the whole. So there's a perspective that comes with uh, this cultivation of mindfulness in the very situation where I most often forget, which is with another person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's where inside dialogue this relational meditation practice i i developed and teach comes in you're actually bringing that quality of remembering remembering awareness remembering the body remembering these wisdom perspectives or what have you while engaged and as you're as you're as you're saying just now you can see these processes at work especially as the mind begins to leave those pauses, calm down, and, you know, uh, remember the wholesome perspective, you know, that's so available. I, wanna,
1: I want to jump on the word remember, because you made the point in your book about uh, mindfulness, sati, and yeah. the root of remembering. And so that has a different take on the meaning of mindfulness.
0: Yes, it does. It does.
1: Um and you, and the sense of um, remembering in a sense of paying attention to, not like remembering a long forgotten thing.
0: Well done. I'm glad you caught that. Yeah. I'm glad you caught that. That's correct. So the way that you would be, let's say, um, you know, let's say you're a little kid and your mom's taking you to grandma's house and says, now remember, grandma can't hear too well. Now she's not saying, you know, uh, remember it in the sense of just like, you know, you may have forgotten that, but no, while you're with grandma, hold that in mind. So that's what that kind of remember is the maintaining in the mind. So mindfulness practices that, that invite you, for example, to remember, to be aware of the body even as you're engaged with another person or while you're observing the breath or whatever it is, that's a remembering of the body or of the breath. But just as well, I could be remembering, for example, uh, the nature of, um, of clinging, which we talked about earlier, right? So I could just be, you know, here we are talking and I pause and, um, you know, do I, Am I wanting anything from this? Am I trying, you know, am I holding on to my self image here? Am I trying to build something up and then hold on to it? It's like, hmm. you know, that's a mindfulness that is both present centered and has this wisdom element
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in
0: this moment. It's not like I'm just thinking about clinging. I'm observing present moment experience through that lens.
1: Yeah, 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 and there is there is a built-in quality of connection with something outside, because it's also remembering that thought that was introduced by the person outside, by the Buddhist teachings, and bringing it in, and therefore in that moment seeing things from that outside perspective as well. Exactly,
0: exactly. So you know you can see how something like that opens up this vast space for a whole life path type of practice. Mm-hmm. You can be remembering in that sense or mindful in that sense. You're cooking a meal. Of course, you can be mindful of cutting and of washing and that's beautiful. Great. But you can also keep in mind, be mindful of, uh, let's say loving kindness and, uh, generosity. And it's like just, you know, uh, be reflecting on the, the, the meal that I'm making. is like, oh, I'm gonna serve this to other people and how lovely the giving is and how the food came from somewhere. And it's not just an intellectual game It's you're not just entertaining yourself. Mm-hmm. You're actually conditioning, getting back to this right effort to cultivate the wholesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you're, so.
1: But so what it does is uh, almost visually implies the experiencing being part of something larger, because Absolutely. that remembering is connecting to that other voice and other perspective, uh-huh. and being able to be more than the default mode, but be influenced by that other perspective into seeing in a larger way.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, well put, well put. So how great that you could have a life that has those kinds of references (laughs) rather than washed everywhere. That like, oh now it's you know this crazy politician or now it's this entertainer or now it's this product that they want to sell me or now it's this disaster. You know, I mean, there's like there's a possibility of a life that you know is centered in some kind of uh, you know a collection of wholesome. Values, qualities, and intentions. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and center it not through uh, authority that leads you by the nose, but through the dialogue with mm-hmm. that other experience.
0: Right. Well put. Right. Yeah. You're 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 having roots in experience. Um. Sometimes you come to the edge of your experience and still life is calling for more, you know, and maybe there's like, oh, you know, I, I don't know how to handle this one. Uh, you know, like a significant other just, I, I'm in the hospital and they're maybe dying right now. Like I, I, that, this has happened to me. I'm with, I lost a daughter. I have a son that at the age of 25 got stage four cancer, you know, and he made it through, but there was a moment there where, uh, you know, not just a moment, there was a period of time where we might lose him, you know? And so what does life offer then? You know, where's the, where's the reference that you're talking about this greater reference that is, um, not just being brought in while you're cutting carrots, but it's being brought in while your son is maybe about to die, you know. And so, you might come to a place where, ah, uh, I have faith in the power of staying in this moment and not falling out to past or future, because when I do, I know. That's where the terror is. That's where the most pain is. And I'm useless to the world when I'm in that kind of pain. And obviously, and it just hurts. So I want
1: to stay a little longer with that phrase, I have faith with the power of staying in the moment. Because uh, the word I have faith is often used in a sense of blind faith, almost that what defines the quality of my faith is the more absurd it is, the more merit I have to have faith. And quite obviously, you're talking about a faith that is born of repeated experience. Uh, We were talking before about the value of the practice as something that prepares you for more intense situation. So in this sense it is a faith in yourself and in the experience that you have acquired in testing that recipe
0: right but i want the, what i'm trying to point out at the same time which is to say not instead of but in addition to what you're saying yeah, yeah. is that there are times sometimes little sometimes enormous where you come to an edge where you don't have the experience. Yes. Right? And there, the faith, if you will, is built on what's come before, but it doesn't go here. It doesn't know this yet. Yes. And, but you're still going to trust it. Because yes. where you've been so far, that's what I'm talking about.
1: Yes. Right. So, so, yes. It's not that you know that experience, but you know that in other difficult experience it served you better to stay in a moment than not. Right. So you don't know for sure that it will work this time, but given past experience, it might make sense to try it.
0: I'm going for it. And, you know, in part, I don't have a choice and you know, it's either that or terror, you know, or, uh, some other kind of method of deadening my mind or trying to control the situation, which of course is impossible, but I'll fight with it to get control. Um, and then of course, all the unskillful actions that can come from that. Uh, mm-hmm. You see people acting crazy in hospitals and stuff all the time because they're, they're past their edge and they don't have a reference. They don't have the awareness they don't have the self-awareness. They don't have uh, a way of coping. And so they get angry at the nurse and they get angry at the doctor or they get completely um, bereft. And it just spirals in, into a, into an insanity, you know, into a, like getting completely untethered, which is understandable. I, uh, You know, my heart breaks at the thought of it. Um, uh, and I have seen people that I love in such extreme you know, states and it's, it's very painful. It's very sad, but it's not our only choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it's very painful. It's very mm-hmm. sad, but it's not our only choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: all of this stemming from, you know, beginning with a, <laughs> you know exploration of, uh, you know, Psychotherapy, psychotherapy as a mode of dealing with human suffering and kind of the Buddhist path perspective of dealing with human suffering. And look where we are. You know, we're kind of like, oh, this is where the rubber hits the road, isn't it?
1: You know. Yes, 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 it is. This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter go to ActivePause.com.